0: Welcome to the Godspeed Institute, an enlightening and positive forum exploring all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems as an on-air classroom, in an effort to help people better understand each other, promote tolerance, and foster peace. I'm your host, Care Hallandbeck. Gola Wolfson Richards holds a B.A. in Human Development Psychology and a Master's in Theology, Philosophy, and Psychology of Change in the Book of Changes. His career in human development spans more than four decades. He has lectured on Contemplative Education, for Global Conflict Resolution for Dartmouth College's Novella Symposium, Duke University Graduate School for Environmental Engineering, the University of Maine's first international peace conference, the C.G. Jung Society at Bowdoin College, Education for Peace at the University of Montana in Missoula, and has participated on the main Faculty of Religion and the Challenge of America. Wolf hosts the Speaking for Virtue podcast from BroadcastWisdom.com featuring early 20th century poetry and prose by authors such as Frank Crane and Edgar Guest. He joins us today to talk about consciousness, change, sage qualities and character development, his organization Broadcast Wisdom, and much more. Wolf, welcome to the program and thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much for allowing me to be here. Thank you.
0: Now, I have the feeling that we are going to travel broadly in our exchange, but in the first part of this program, I would like to just begin a little bit with uh, an introduction to you and your journey. And if you could please share with our listeners, how did your spiritual work and life evolve?
1: I would tend to think that there's going to be an extreme amount of similarity to how everybody else's uh, spiritual journey, if you would, evolved. Um, everything that pertained to the circumstances of my um, life at home with my parents um, as an infant affected my spiritual journey, I would say. If on the positive side I could say that I was loved well, as I certainly was by my mother immensely, Right, that is a part of my spiritual journey. It forms a positive uh, creative, a receptive frame. It inclined me to have a positive attitude, a compassionate attitude toward life, to expect the good. Anything that was bad or detrimental, negative, also would have an effect on my psychology. And all of that, to my mind, is a part of what my spiritual journey has been, particularly as I see it now. The elements that are involved in conflict and conflict resolution thinking of those two uh, particulars, that would form the polar uh, positions that are uh, key to how I see my spirituality. And by spirituality itself, I think nowadays of the fact that principles, which have no physical form, and we all realize that, principles are the governing or allow for all of the particulars that are involved in governing every other feature of creation. So the principles that are involved in relating well to another person, the love that I received, shape my spirituality. The principles that would be inclined to cause me to have hesitation with regard to other people and how I deal with the world, those would have been detriments with regard to my spirituality, particularly as I see it as an issue of character, that if I am indeed an effective spiritual person, I'm also an effective global citizen. I display my effectiveness in terms of compassion and timely action in the interest of a civilized and sane world.
0: Beautifully said. Thank you so much uh, for that, Wolf. Your phrase, expecting the good, um, just uh, perked my ears up. I think many people in today's society may be feeling that they're expecting the other shoe to drop. Um, and uh in your comment about principles uh of course being connected to character is very uh, is critical as well i think in this program we might start to pull all these together in terms of spirituality and principle and character which is very exciting to me now i wanted to ask you also if you were raised in a religious or spiritually based home
1: i would say so yes um, given the uh, way that we ordinarily mean spiritual, I would very much be um, someone raised in a spiritually oriented home. By that I mean my father was a minister, so that the regularity that would be involved in Sunday service, uh, I was exposed to that. The musicality that was involved in uh, our particular religious experience, I was exposed to that in terms of the fervor uh, that it was a regular thing for me to see. Prayer was a regular thing for me to experience. For instance, um, uh, so many of us will have had uh, probably the same prayer taught, this night I lay me down to sleep, that sort of thing. And it affected me later in terms of um, how I taught my daughter coming up to pray, and only I altered the prayer somewhat to have it to be more timely with regard to how we now see spirituality is affecting uh, attention, how someone learns to pay close attention to factors. So when I was affected first, initially, that is by the idea, before I ever understood it, but surrounded by the idea that there was a transcendent world, that we prayed because the actual uh, world that we were experiencing, the actuality, had a complement of something that was transcendent, something I couldn't see, yet by respecting it, I would be able to have some relationship to those principles, and I'm using that word principle, to be uh, relevant or reflect the same thing I mean by spirit. So that conditioning that you do not have a daily life except you at some point right, reference through prayer, right, that which is transcendent and behind or imminent right, within uh, the uh, actual and daily experience. For my daughter, when I brought her up, one of the additions I had in her prayer experience was, uh, if you don't mind, I'll tell you what I taught her. I wrote a little uh, rhyme for her. It says, there is not a person, thought or thing, that does not need attentioning. So as I learn, life's very best. Attention is my lesson. Caution is my test.
0: That is wonderful. That is, I'm so glad you shared that. You know, we have little prayers and things that we say here as well in our home and write ourselves. And it's just so special that you shared that with us. And um, I wanted to ask you as well, uh, because you mentioned a compliment, that there is a compliment to respect. Is the compliment like or is the compliment opposite in terms of uh, energy or both?
1: Actually, in fact, right, in various ways we'll experience at times as like, right, um, and opposite. But in truth, right, it is a whole. Um, one of the things that I focus on in teaching is that we can't know anything or anything that we know, right, depends on contrast. You can't know high except it's contrasted to low. You can't know old Except it's contrasted to young. So, therefore, every bit um, of the human experience, we become rather blind to it because we don't focus on it much, right? It's based on elements of contrast. So, the whole entire life experience is based on two things that seem to be opposites in one sense North Pole, South Pole, but actually, in terms of how nature operates, they're complements to one another. There's an old saying, uh, sometimes attributed, I think a little bit, though, corrupted by me to Martin Buber. It says, difficulties are not hurdles on the road to God. Difficulties are the road. That would be an instance of opposites that turn out actually to be complements.
0: Thank you so much for that. I believe uh, somewhere uh, in my studies, I think the term uh, originally for cross or crucifixion had something to do with a stumbling block, um, that these are stumbling blocks (laughs) in our life. And um, it's interesting. Um, I'm assuming you didn't mention it specifically, but that you grew up uh, when you said your father was a minister. This was a Christian uh, household.
1: To give appropriate detail. Um, my father's attitude towards social relations, civil society, was so high that I'd have to say, it'd be fair to say, it was a humanist household um, that uh, paid very close attention, right, to um, uh, actions, right, Uh, not so much to proselytize somebody, but to draw them into a better state of human welfare. So um, it was a mix of factors. And then um, my father was very, very fond of uh, poetry, and my mother was very fond of poetry and essays. So that therefore, we were exposed to all kinds of influences from all over the world, right? And so it was an um, amalgam, if you would, and in no wise, uh, a constrained, limited experience. So it's a very, um, what, universal um, uh, experience, rather, in the technical sense, a very Catholic, if you would, experience of
0: um, Christianity. I appreciate your saying that, because I've often referred to myself as Catholic small C. <laughs> that means, just means universal. Um, now, of course, with the, the ministry in the house, the musicality, fervor, and prayer all came, of course, came, have, been, have come to bear on your adult life as well. Can you share a little bit now about your journey of, of how you came to teach what you teach?
1: It's interesting. Thank you very much for that question. I remember um, when I was small, because I was exposed uh, to my father in the pulpit, right, that being a, a very emotionally charged uh, exposure, exposure to teaching right, for me. Uh, school, of course, was emotionally charged to some degree, but not at all like um, my father in the pulpit. He was a Baptist minister, a Southern Baptist minister. And so for people in the audience that are familiar with Southern Baptist ministry, um, it was intense and it was my father so therefore uh, that was the first impression and then later for me i found myself enjoying right um thinking that i was teaching uh, almost in any circumstance so and also being taught so that i could take walks as a little kid and i would listen right if you would right for what could be taught i had a little friend that i would imagine would at times teach me. Unseen, of course, right? Um, Or not say of course, but that's how I had this imagined, but it was more a voice, right? That would speak to me and I would be learning. So I was constantly having my uh, imagination uh, rich with the experience of being taught and my practical experience of listening to the teacher going on in the house all the time. My father intoned his sermons, right? Throughout the day at home. So I could hear him intoning words. And so um, Sunday service was um, a repetition of what had already began as a mantra, if you would, right during the course of the week.
0: Um, Yes, the intoning, of course, for emphasis. You know, I studied with the Jesuits. I know all about the intoning and then the quick turn away at the end from the pulpit, you know, for that final, you know, emphasis on the lesson. And uh, again, this is also musical as yeah. well as, as part of um, uh, speaking, preaching, music, again, and with that, that fervor. So, you know, I, I would just like to get a little more into uh, this, uh, the, the global then conflict resolution interest that you have fostered uh, for such a long time and taught about mm-hmm. for such a long time.
1: Uh, back to the teaching again and the intoning. One of the things that I learned, and uh, easy for people to see, my dear friend, long, long dear friend and partner in crime, if you would, <laughs> is Dr. Christopher Hunt, who as a student of anthropology, right, learned the same thing that I learned, that we have learned by means of rhythm. Right? Uh, rhythm has been um, medicinal, Rhythm has conveyed history so that rhythmic learning of information uh, has been passed on, right, and passes on, right, the greater load of information that human beings use to persist. Poetry, whether it's Homer, right, we're rhythms, right? If it's the Delphic Oracle, it's rhythms. If the aphorisms that come from the Orient, right, they're rhythms, right, that are provide us with the primary modality whereby children still today are enchanted. So in terms of rhythmic things, music being understood to be so powerful because it has that capacity to enchant us, to open us up to levels of thought and perception where on the one hand in our ordinary lives we might think I'm not capable of understanding such and such and such. But by means of the rhythms I can open myself up to understanding or even prepare myself, better said, right? Prepare myself to receive more and more that I otherwise wouldn't be able to receive were it not for the rhythm. If you see children now who can, and you wonder about their capacity to uh, take in prosaic information, but then you are defied, right, in terms of just absolutely mesmerized by their capacity to repeat rhythm from songs, as in rap music, for instance. So I learned long ago that if you want to teach people well, find things that are poetic, that have an intense amount of information, concentrated in a small space, use a few words to say a lot. Um, I'll give you some examples from materials that I've written. Uh, And and these are um, highly philosophic, but highly practical Understanding the nature of change changes the nature of understanding. Another one, the principles in our private lives must be lived for the sake of the world at large. And the last one, never hold growth hostage to how you believe, but learn to believe such that growth is ensured. By having things that can be rhythmically repeated, like mantras, you milk them for understanding. So what you may not understand today, by being enchanted by the rhythm right tomorrow, next year, you may understand far more.
0: Thank you so much for that, um, for all of it. I'm glad that a spiritual luminary, for example, um, has a partner in crime. I think spiritual teachers should have partners in crime. Uh, a lot of partners in crime. I know. Uh, two people who influenced me greatly, as some of my listeners might know, are uh, Francis and Claire of Assisi. And goodness knows they were uh, criminals the, the night he received her into his order and uh, changed the world from that uh, from that partnership. And uh, also, I, I love what you just shared, the, um, the three mantras. And could you, you know, since so much of my work focuses on the nature of change and what change in our lives actually requires of us, could you please share uh, some of how, how you perceive the nature of change?
1: Um, yes. First of all, going back to uh, the, um, what I uh, earlier mentioned, all change All perceptions are predicated on contrast. And so, again, just to repeat myself, up requires down, left requires right, and so forth. If we are to have, right, a model of change that's operating beautifully um, uh, in harmony, we look at nature and we say, nature has seasons, it has all kinds of creatures, and yet in the overall, right, it's able to make them function as a harmony, so that nature's past is not fighting with its future, right? Uh, every creature in some way or another, every experience is a phase of one entire thing. When human beings can do change in that way, it's often referred to as heaven and earth, that being nature, like day and night, heaven and earth, or rather I should do that a little more and say heaven would be principle, the spiritual, that which is unseen, and earth would be the manifest, so you would have that contrast again, right, between what I do not see, right, and what is actual and I do see. So my ideal then in terms of change is to harmonize in the same way, and so then it would be heaven, earth, and mankind. That would be my role. So if I contemplate nature, heaven and earth, and their harmony, and then internalize it and say that the most important change for a human being is my relationship between Eros, that being all of my emotionality, and logos, right, using that again to repeat the idea of heaven, right, that the, uh, my perception of principles to guide and balance my emotionality, then the primary input that I need to have in guiding change toward its um, um, ideal fluorescence would be self-management. Learning how to self-cultivate so that I don't have what I teach the kids around me, that when the emotions are high, the uh, logic tends to be low. So watching out for that right means that you're succeeding as a human being and doing the one thing we need to do for conflict resolution, which is to learn to mature, whereby you are not only an example, but carry the influences of the universe itself, all that creativity in nature where we can see balance between heaven and earth. We want to enact it in terms of how I manage my emotions so that emotion high doesn't mean logic low on my part.
0: Thank you very much for that. And, um, you know, as I often feel, the our real like where the spiritual rubber meets the road <laughs> is in the practical, in the daily. Um, for example, you know, the guy sitting right now stuck in traffic on some freeway in San Francisco says, yeah, yeah, Wolf, what does that mean for me right now? So let's let's talk about, you know, what the, the practical implications of this and what in terms of self-management and, and self-cultivation. Mentioning the
1: highway, right, is definitely a good example for that guy out in San Francisco, as you say, or anywhere else. You end up having a uh, culture, so and by that I mean we have a predominant experience. Whenever you have a predominant experience, a predominant pattern being displayed, right, you can use the word culture right uh, there. What are the predominant patterns? And on those highways, one of the predominant patterns we see is emotion, high, logic, low, quite a bit, which constitutes, right, many, many car accidents, uh, many people feeling disrespected as a regular, right, many people feeling driven, pushed by the other, right? Uh, And you see people that would otherwise have some degree of grace if you were to meet them um, on a hallway or at a um, particular social function, and then they are pushed by the collective culture. I'm emphasizing that word collective here. The collective culture there to become other than the graceful person that they would be um, at the uh, festivity otherwise. So... For the person out there on that road to understand that to allow ourselves to respond to collective forces and give up the integrity of self-direction that I'm going to be the lady or gentleman I need to be out here on this highway and not say, this is what you've got to do. Um, That becomes very important in terms of a practical thing. One, if I give up um, my control of self, and then otherwise hope that there's some means whereby this is going to be fixed, I deliver myself over to chance and fate, right, in a way that is unfair. It says that I have a mature, immature culture, I'm elaborating, that says that I need luck overdone, right, to protect me from what I otherwise am uh, given by nature, right, as a capacity to protect myself. So, Being mature in all circumstances is requisite no matter what, even in San Francisco.
0: (laughs) You you remind me of when um, we moved from New York City up to Maine, Michael and I, Um, after uh, we honeymooned in Maine and just fell in love with it up here, and when our first daughter was about a year old, we made the leap of faith. We had enough nailed down, but not everything. And one of the things I had to get used to, speaking of driving... (laughs) Is the there's a there was a definition in uh, Portland magazine that that's called main drivers. They they drive too slowly, but they're impossible to pass. And um, you know, I found myself still on the New York you know time frame <laughs> and uh, getting you know agitated uh, about this. And then as I matured here and settled in and settled down. You know, I I realized I don't pass anyone anymore, and I don't want to pass anyone anymore, because you never know about this person in front of you if he or she is going to have a problem a mile or two down the road. You know, I want to be there. These people are my neighbors.
1: Absolutely. Same thing. I came to Maine from Manhattan, and so we have that same similarity in our journeys. Um, and The most interesting thing to me when I came up here in terms of that pace idea right, is, one, I didn't realize how much I had a pace right from New York City (laughs) until I came up and experienced the contrast. It's, whoa, right? (laughs) Where did so much time come from? (laughs) Very different in many ways.
0: Wolf, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the Contemplative Education for Global Conflict Resolution. I believe you've shared about this quite a bit at uh, different colleges and universities. And um, if you could get a little bit more in what you mean by contemplative education and also uh, what you refer to as sage qualities.
1: I will definitely do that. Thank you. And if I lose track as I get concentrating on one aspect of this, you bring me back to the point, please. Uh, ordinarily speaking, uh, we have people um, speaking, and I have, if you can go on YouTube, and um, in Maine, there's a division of the TED organization um, called, uh, and the title is TEDxDirigo, uh, D I R I G O, TEDxDirigo. And there's a YouTube. Um, um, a, a video of me speaking about this uh, very thing. Ordinarily, right? we speak of contemplative um, um, experiences as being one and the same as meditative. And for some of us, uh, there's a distinction. They they are complements, left and right hand of one another. They constitute a whole. And for me, meditation means undercutting thought for the rest, right for the relief, right for the focusing capacity that comes when you learn not to be distracted. So therefore, you meditate, you pay attention to uh, a few things or one thing, and you concentrate on that, and that exercise helps one to become steady or develop core talents and being able to be relieved of uh, distraction, uh, focused for the sake of what energies and, and aptitudes for learning come by means of having skillful abilities to focus. Contemplation is a complement in the sense that it develops, they all develop toward a particular tone, has two sides to it, like the day and night, a cooperation between these two elements of our personalities. Because as I am meditating, after I do that, I have to get up and I have to function, right, Uh, otherwise throughout the day. Contemplation is a, a shorthand. It tries to take in huge amounts of information and then summarize them in aphorisms. Wise sayings would be another way of putting it, right? Proverbs, wisdom, things that are in the word perennial, being things that are going to be happening year after year after year, universal all over the world, and summarize particular truth. For instance, love thy neighbor... As thyself is a particular way of uh, being wise anywhere in the world. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, right, is an applicable wise saying anywhere in the world. So if one is able to have a contemplative experience that's rich, the idea would be having a contemplative system that entirely covers every aspect of what a human being, what our minds are capable of doing. So I wrote a book about that called The Way to See Whole, and um, that's what it does. It summarizes in aphorisms practically every aspect of what human psychology can be involved with. As a matter of fact, I'm going to uh, change practically and say it does, in fact, summarize. And then, as a mantra, if you would, or rather thinking of the whole system as a mantra, our song, right, by moving around, repeating like stations of the cross, right, circumambulation, or going around and around, repeated expen- experiences, seasons. What one may not understand in the summer in this repetition, right, by the winter you will. What one may not understand in one's youth, one may later years, right, understand quite well. So. Contemplative learning emphasizes summarizing the broad range. Meditative learning, all right, summarize is, excuse me, is undercutting, right, the broad range of experience and using those two modalities to complement one another. In the Earth Charter, um, you're probably familiar with that, 16 principles, right, um, that are uh, organized after many years of research by Uh, Professor Stephen Rockefeller. So I recorded that, and that's a download that is free from our website, and also then wrote a series of aphorisms to complement it so that they're contemplative. So you've got points that are clear to be understood, and then there's these uh, meditative, um, or excuse me, contemplative exercises to help complement those particular points.
0: Those would be more of the essence of the thing um, to to consider. Now, just based on what you, something you said earlier, would you consider uh, meditation and contemplation to be complements of what we might call prayer?
1: One could say that for many people, how they use prayer, right, turns out to be um, quite contemplative. Uh, The the prayer I taught my children coming up is a very ancient prayer from the Chinese odes. Um, And we repeat it over um, and over and over. Um, And I um, find that it's less an asking for uh, fix um, anything, right, than it is a focusing one's mind, like I was telling you about what I would teach my daughter, right, about attention, Focus your mind. It goes, It is as little children that we ask, without the intelligence to do our task, yet learning month by month and day by day, we shall hold fast to some gleams of knowledge bright, help us to bear our heavy burdens right, and show us how to walk in wisdom's way. So that repeated over and over, right, becomes contemplative. It centers you because you're saying, help me to walk in wisdom's way. Help me to walk in wisdom's way. I know what my focus is. I'm looking for wisdom's way. But by the stillness that's produced by having the repeated round, the mantra, I gain intuitions that I wouldn't get if I were otherwise trying to figure out everything um, in a... um, a plus b fashion
0: and after so you know years of uh, mining spiritual gold around the world i can say that help me walk in wisdom's way is truly an, a global uh mantra or prayer uh among all the facets of faith now wolf we are about halfway through the program right now so i just want to take a short break for a program id And uh, then I want to come and jump back into the sage qualities about character. So please just stay on the line. This is Care Hallenbeck, and you're listening to the Godspeed Institute, a program dedicated to spiritually-based living and to religious tolerance. When we return from the break, we'll continue our conversation with Gola Wolf Richards of Broadcast Wisdom. Stay with us. Calls you with the words, everything's all clear That's what you want to hear But you know it might be different in the new year That's why, that's why We hang the lights so high As a kid, and now you need it more than you ever did. It's because of the dark we see the beauty in the spark. That's why, that's why. Welcome back to the Godspeed Institute. You're live with CARE, and we're speaking with Wolf Richards of Broadcast Wisdom, exploring the nature of change and global consciousness. Now, Wolf, we talked about so many things in the first part of the program, and I still feel like we've just touched the tip of the iceberg uh, in this very rich uh, conversation. But I'd just like to come back to where we were before the break, um, which was about sage qualities, uh, something that you work with uh, and teach uh, in, in your in your work. What are sage qualities in relation to character?
1: Uh, sage would be a uh, term suggesting ideal. Ideal uh, character for what? For Conflict resolution. So, um, another term um, in summary would be a virtuous individual. And virtues being attitudes, uh, perspectives, behaviors that mitigate, lessen, alter for the better, right? Things that otherwise uh, would suggest opportunities for conflict, for negativity. Because it is natural to expect, right, um, no ups without downs, no left without right, right, no good times without bad times, difficulties aren't hurdles on the road to God, difficulties are the road. Because it is totally natural, intelligent to know there will be trouble, you will constantly have the potential to fall into some pit. Then wisdom would be, right, to keep one's mind sharp, right, Uh, as I was telling with my daughter teaching the prayer that everything needs attentioning. Pardon me the bad English. But nonetheless, the sage then will be someone who has very pointed, very awake, very present mind, uh, geared to do conflict resolution, and that's smooth. Conflict resolution as it means courtesy, uh, because there's a being able to sense the other person, identify with them as oneself, right? Detail, right? Uh, understanding how the flow of operations between oneself and the other need to go in order to incline highest potential for a positive result, right? Extremely strong orientation for child care. Because of the fact that there's dependence utterly expressed in terms of what a child means, infant, right? The sage tendencies would be uh, strong wisdom for cultivating um, culture, life, if you would, as a continuous womb, right, for the continuous elevation of the adolescent, the infantile and an adolescent personality toward tendencies to maturity. So a sage would be a um, social superhero, if you would.
0: Wolf, I think just culturally, I just wanted to raise the question because I think when uh, people or some people might hear the word sage, that somehow we are culturally inclined to think this, we're we're talking about an older person here, much, you know, for a woman might be called crone wisdom, but you seem to be liberating this concept to not have to do with age very much. Can you speak to that?
1: Yes, and I thank you for that question because it does shed light on the process It's a process. If I see someone's personality being cultivated well, right, as a child, right, I know that they're on that road, they're on that sage road, right? And because it is dynamic, it's unending, there's never a spot where you'll be able to sit on your laurels, no matter how old those laurels (laughs) may be, (laughs) sit back. You could not do so. Uh, You have to continuously be timely, so the kid who's learning right, how to be um, polite, the kid who's being shaped in terms of their sensibilities to be able to choose right, what would be good for them in the world and the environment at large, as opposed to not, right? they're on that sagely path, so you're quite right. Sageliness would also be something we could attribute to uh, the trees, to the animals. When you see how in the animal kingdom you can have Leadership, right, that keeps, right, even under the horrible assault that we put the animal world and the biosphere under. The elephants that still know how to lead themselves, right, toward as much safety as they can find. That's sage. Um, The extremely long development of plants, right, that's sage. Evolution expresses uh, at large, right, sage tendencies, otherwise it wouldn't be a biosphere. The biosphere under attack, right, is demonstrating that human beings, as um, self-evolvers, like the term homo sapiens, homo humanity, sapiens by means of wisdom, sapiendis. So our environment, we're the only thing in the environment that has to become sagely in order to fit within the biosphere without destroying it. So sage is a process that's going on all around us naturally. We just have to learn how to step up to it.
0: Thank you very much for that. Now, can you relate that in terms of the sage qualities and character development then to the area of the global conflict resolution? And if you could provide some you know, ideas or examples.
1: Um, it is appropriate as a part of it. If, if one's going to be sage, we would hope right, that in that concept is um, adequate compassion for humanity at large. So an adequate understanding. So here's what inclines me to compassion. I believe humanity is young, right? And despite the fact that we can count our history in thousands of years, right? For those of us who uh, have uh, been graced and blessed with education, we know that that's a a drop in the bucket in terms of time for many, many species whose lives can be counted in millions and millions and millions of years. So here we have this very young species, and so there's a tolerance that we need to have about ourselves collectively. It's that we're, in many cases, infantile, emotion high, logic low, so we do very dangerous, impulsive things. Um, And so therefore, at this particular time in history for conflict resolution, it's extremely important to first start with the right premise, the right understanding. Why in the heck are we in so much trouble? We wouldn't have difficulty understanding that if we were to see everybody in the world as in diapers, if you would, walking around, and we'd say, oh, good, except for a few of us right then, and say, I see why they don't know how to guide themselves, they're babies. Habit force becomes something that we have to pay attention to in terms of that initial proper concept for conflict resolution. Rhythms dominate. The earth orbits. Our blood circulates. Our respiration circulates. We require patterns. The food must grow. The food and plants depend on things that rise and then die and fertilize new crops. Without these patterns, right there would be no nature, no world, no biosphere to persist. When we think about conflict resolution now in terms of climate change, then it would be appropriate to have an idea that, first of all, the climate of consciousness, the state of consciousness, of which I refer to as the climate of consciousness, is the thing that must be reckoned with in order to understand how we can alter this great envelope of conflict that is now requiring conflict resolution. And in that climate of consciousness, the only uh, thing that I must do as a real must is to self cultivate my personality in such a way that that emotion-high, logic-low paradigm that I talk about becomes balanced such that I am full of passion about many things, but I'm guided by means of wisdom as it would dominate as reasoning so that I can shape my passion so as to become practical. So then to have the theory go on further, that nature inherently holds intrinsic relationships between opposites, Day is not in opposition in any abject way to night. Old is not abjectly in nature in opposition to young. Hard is not abjectly in opposition to soft in nature. And neither is the experience of one or a few abjectly in opposition, right, to collective change. So the individuals need to understand you are operating with nature if you are in a sagely way, Elevating your humanity, your learning.
0: Yes, and what you just um, said just made me think that basically all these qualities are on a continuum. They're not necessarily, um, you know, facing off with each other. But I also had a a thought, which is that, you know, children, uh, little ones, are in a different situation. And they respond to things as well. For example, there's always a great emphasis that adults place on children to share And, you know, whether it's sharing a toy or, you know, you're going to have to share with your sister, I'm not buying another copy of, you know, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, you're going to have to share it and work it out. And so kids sort of grow up with that. And then I wonder, as we get older, uh, you know, we start to sort of build our own camps and start to have this thought of what's mine. And even in engaging uh, growth toward compassion may not realize that that sharing is part of it that some form of giving or sacrifice um is part of uh the the growth of compassion at least that's been my experience um so when we talk about the world and and you know the way it is right now i I point to uh you know greed of course. Um, dividing up our our natural wealth, um, but also have the hope that what we 're talking about here, this process, basically happens one heart at a time, and I think that we will head there. What are your thoughts on this
1: um, absolutely enjoy uh, you're having brought that up, and I um, support what you 've said here 's a um, um, uh, one way of looking at it, otherwise. It's only a segment of our imagination, albeit powerful, to believe that we're not in some state of community and, and our, our interface, right, with the rest of the world all the time. So, when we start in an objective uh, way to teach children to share, it's saying, "I want you to be responsible for the fact that you will never be released from having interface with the rest of the world anyhow." So by being conscious of the fact, share, right, you take responsibility for what nature has made inherent as a truth all over the place. Everything interdepends and interacts with everything else dynamically all the time. So if I'm unconscious of that, not cultivated to be aware of that, to care about it, then I leave undone, right, what nature says you must become aware of to get done, appropriately. So at this time in history, back to the idea of sage, I believe that with appropriate sympathy and understanding that uh, a few people have always been responsible just as we would have in biology, right, and understanding ecological niches, right, and you can have hope if you find yourself working to change, then you are, in fact, uh, in a, in a sagely way, you are doing everything right, necessary for you to do in that continuum, right, to move hope along as a dynamic. That nature is not unconscious or unaware of the fact of all of its pieces fitting together, and it does not diminish the importance, right, of what one, by means of spiritual dynamics, right, principles, what principles can do. Uh, can do to the whole we're often daunted by the fact that oh my god everybody um, is out of sync yes and in terms of nature right it would be true that you can have times of untimely status but nature succeeds overall as a whole right nonetheless human beings must have that kind of faith that those of us who are trying to save the world must have faith that by means of what I do with myself, since in principle, my personality represents what's going on in this aggregate of human relations worldwide. It's all about how these personalities are or are not understanding one another. And if I understand them with sympathy and depthful understanding, then I'm conveying the quality that's necessary for the change I desire. I have to be the change, as it's said, right that I desire.
0: Thank you so much for that. In the time we have left, I think I would like to, although i 'd love to really get into Confucianism, I think that might be better off for another show <laughs> and like to, to show. oh thank you, thank you um, because uh, I would really like to have that conversation as well. but um, in the time we have left, uh, I know that mystical humanism. Uh, is a focus of yours and mine as well. So I would love if you could share in the context of everything that we've just talked about uh, and the direction, you know, this culture is heading in and different cultures around the world. uh, What is mystical humanism and and how do you see its role and uh, its evolution?
1: Yeah, if I start with the humanism part, um, there will be a more broad understanding of what's meant by that, that one is displaying ideal um human behaviors uh, virtues um the things that would otherwise make for a civil society um he or she is humanistic they have human-heartedness empathy compassion um that sort of thing self-control the principles behind that refer to the mysticism so if the order of the humanistic, the order that we see in the humanistic individual, if we stop to think that that order or it is guided or afforded by means of these principles behind it, then I'm bringing, elevating the concept of the mystical, these principles, uh, using those to be a real, echo one another, that the mystical humanism says that I am as aware of my practical uh, social, civic behaviors, and on the other hand, as aware, right, of the underpinnings, the spiritual underpinnings behind them. So the mystic, the mystical humanism, uh, then means that one is, in effect, experiencing two worlds at once. There's a sensitivity, right, to the transcendent, so that it's hard for one to ever put it um, correctly in words. Uh, you do the best you can, as I'm hopefully doing now, but in fact, it's more like inspiration. It's more a um, sense of the a, you know the a fancy word from theology, numinous, right? That the world is populated not simply by what we call the actual, right, but by the background, right, transcendent background. This otherwise, again, using the term spiritual, right, that informs and allows for that actuality to be. So the person who's a mystical humanist, right, is doing everything that any kind of, uh, bless their hearts, goody-two-shoes person is trying to do, save the world, right, um, and do no harm, please. But they are also inspired, awakened, in communion with, right, that background, which for many comes out as a virtual presence. They feel, very often people speak of angels, spirits, uh, meaning um, departed souls, right, somehow nature somehow or another, they are aware and awake to the voices, right, that are otherwise not conventional.
0: Thank you so much uh, for that explanation. I related to a fair amount of that because there is a bit of a duality uh, involved. And I loved your use of the word background. Um, I got chills hearing that, and, um, and that really resonated with me. But on some level, uh, wouldn't you say that, you know, it's, it might be a human trait, um, for people to be living in this world and listening to that background and sort of you know, negotiating and navigating and managing that uh, every day.
1: But given again, right, the way that habits can um, function, customs can function, anything that exists, right, can increase or diminish. So that, uh, and anything that exists can be clear or be muddled, right, uh, be correct or be fooled. Um, My mother used to often say um, that uh, in describing um, uh, one of the risks of a person being educated is that you can have an educated fool, right? And so constantly uh, we have to be aware of the fact that if I'm not looking for the conceivable mistakes in how I perceive things, they're not adjusted to be timely, right? Then I am now carrying forth a habit of not being timely, and I will perceive myself to be rightly ordered, but I may not be at all in terms of the contrast of opposites. So, yes, it's there as an inherent tendency, but it needs cultivation and refinement. The um, I find, and I've worked for many years, right, in addiction uh, services, and I find that the uh, uh, use of contemplative practices uh, are so good for helping deep uh, patterning in personality, like addiction, right? Uh, uh, PTS, I think, would be an extremely good um, area, right, for contemplative uh, work to help people move uh, through uh, deep-seated impressions. So that would be a place where ordinarily we see a person can perceive rightly, and then we see their perceptions being damaged, limited, and we say, oh, my, what's what's wrong until we come up? with a term to describe what we're saying, that post-traumatic stress, for instance. Do you follow? So that idea that we can have frozen perceptions that don't operate well for us and that we, the fulcrum, right, that triage, right, has to be manipulated in some way or another so as to truly allow freedom as opposed to simply acting out what has become custom or deeply patterned or habitual.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. Um, the field of trauma uh, that you just brought up is so um, critical. And of course, that's another show as we uh, head to the end of this interview. I just want to thank you so much for your wisdom, your life's learning and the amount of love and dedication you have uh, that you share so easily. It's been a distinct pleasure to speak with you and i just want to let listeners know that all your website and contact and book information uh is posted on godspeedinstitute.com so please hurry over there and listen to more of wolf and his his videos also on youtube and elsewhere um i wish we had more time i'm sorry we've got to sign off but i just wanted to thank you again and be sure to stay in touch i will And thank you listeners for joining us for the Godspeed Institute today. The Godspeed Institute is an independent educational organization dedicated to promoting religious tolerance and spiritually based living. If you'd like to hear this or any of our previous programs again or send it to someone, simply go to Godspeedinstitute.com please send your comments to info at godspeedinstitute.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. And join us again as we continue to explore all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems. Until then, we wish you Godspeed on your journey.